James chapter 2, if you'll turn in your Bible with me this morning. James chapter 2, 15 and 16, Genesis 28. Continuing our series on the blessing. Most people have at least one subject in school uh, that they dread. At least one subject that they're not good at. There's a man named Gary who dreaded math. Now, I have a dear affinity for him already. That was my dread in school. All through elementary, through middle school, through high school, it was his worst subject. He had to repeat geometry his senior year of school and and was just convinced that he was going to fail the second time. By the time Gary had become a senior in school, he was already marked by his math teachers as a failure. And most of his math teachers approached him that way. During the first month of math class, his only other comfort was that half the class was failing with him. But back then, in Gary's math class, the way that the teacher arranged the class was by grade percentage. So they would, so as your percentage changed, they would move your desk. The worse you did, the further in the back you were, which makes no sense to me. It seems like it ought to be the reverse, unless you're just going to shame everybody to get better. But there Gary was parked on the back row in geometry his senior year, convinced he was going to fail a second time. One Monday morning, all that began to change. A substitute teacher was assigned to his class. The teacher announced that the other teacher had been reassigned to another school. The substitute would help him finish the year. That morning, Gary's life started to change. Changed, it changed so much that one year later when he entered college as a freshman, he declared math as his major. He declared math, or I'm sorry, as his minor. He said the substitute teacher walked in and made one statement and backed it up with action the rest of the year. He said this, if any of you in this math class fail, I have failed. And that statement backed up by action changed Gary's life. That teacher made a commitment that morning to do whatever it took to help that class to succeed. The teacher would stay after school and tutor. Most Saturdays, the rest of Gary's senior year, the teacher would come on Saturday and tutor a few students, play volleyball for a few minutes. At the end of his senior year, Gary received his first A in math in 12 years of school, his entire life. Gary went on to become a Christian counselor who's authored 40 books, established a relationship center, and is one of the leading, uh, one of the nation's best-known authorities on Family relationships. Gary Smalley. Maybe you've heard of him. Outside of Dr. Dobson, probably the most recognizable name in family counseling. That all happened because somebody made a commitment to see him succeed. We've talked in the blessing about meaningful touch. We've talked about spoken words. We've talked about uh, blessing someone through picturing a God-designed future. This morning I want to talk about Blessing someone through making a commitment to them. Now, here's the difference in this verse, this uh, expression of the blessing and the other ones. This is the one like super glue that holds all the other ones together. Look at James chapter 2 with me, verse 15 and 16. James 2, 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. We'll find the principle here. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? The next verse says, without deeds, 
faith is dead. Without action, faith doesn't live. If I say, I want to bless you and I believe in you and I speak words over you and I affirm you, but there's no commitment to see the blessing live in you, James says, it's empty. It's void. It's missing something. This part of the blessing, like super glue, holds all the other ones together. These other expressions lose their meaning or or are not at their deepest level if you don't have them. Let me give you an example of this. We see it oftentimes in uh, intercession, in prayer. Intercessory prayer is one of the greatest acts of service, is one of the greatest commitments you can make to another person's life. To stand in on their behalf before God and intercede for them. It's one of the greatest things you can do. However, it can also become the marketplace language of the church. Where we just learn to say, I'm praying for you by habit, but we don't do it. You do know that everybody who says they're praying for you is not praying for you, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you, you got the memo on that, didn't you? I'm praying for you. It's like saying, God bless you. This is America's a Christian nation, and God we trust. I'm praying for you. What we mean a lot of times in saying I'm praying for you is, hey, I just, it's not an uncaring thing. I just wanted an update on how you were doing. Let me know how you're doing. And then because we don't know what else to say, we say I'm praying for you, which means I feel terrible about what you're going through. I'm going to keep feeling bad, but I'm not going to get around to praying for you. But listen, without the commitment to intercede, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to have people that feel bad for each other. Which is not, I mean, sometimes we need empathy. That's all right. But beyond that, without the commitment to intercede, there's no commitment to see the issue resolved. It's not that the other parts of the blessing aren't meaningful. It's not that if you do uh, words of affirmation. It's not, it's not that if you do meaningful touch. It's not that if you don't picture a God-designed future. It's not that those aren't important without this one. It's just that they're incomplete. They begin to ring hollow over time. Let me give you two ways if you're taking notes this morning to express a commitment to seeing the blessing fulfilled in someone's life. And the first one's going to surprise you. Here's the first one. The first way you can see the blessing through the expression of commitment come about in someone's life is to connect them to God. Now, this one sounds simple, but listen to me. Hear me out on it. Connect them to God. What I mean when I say connect them to God is to teach them that God's their ultimate source and you're not. You may be, when God gives responsibility of someone else's life to you, a parent, a spouse, a child... You you have a God-given responsibility to bless someone else. The first thing and number one thing you can teach them ever is, I'm not it. God is. Point them to God. Connect them to God. God's their ultimate source. God may use you and God always uses a person to pass on the blessing. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He always uses a person to pass the blessing on. But you have to say every time you pass it on, bless you, but I'm not it. God's blessing come through me to you, but I'm not it. I'm not the source. I'm just, I'm just part of what it's passing through. Genesis 28, 
If you remember in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob basically stole Esau's blessing. Esau was a big, hairy, burly man that was strong who wanted to come kill Jacob. And Jacob was the computer geek in the family. And Esau was was chasing him one time. And as Jacob was out in the desert running from Esau, hiding for his life, he stopped to sleep out in the desert one night. And God spoke to him. Now look at Genesis 28, 13 through 15. And this is what God said to Jacob as he was sleeping out in the desert at night. I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. What God is saying is, I was Abraham's God I was Isaac's God, and I will be your God. I will bless you through them, but don't confuse them with me. In other words, your daddy's not here now, and Esau's coming to kill you, but I'm still God. The blessing store is not closed yet. You know, the more... um, The more... I'm convinced the more broken the family becomes the more we see all kind of relational sicknesses move across the country. I, I, I believe that, that I don't, and I believe that most people don't, have a concept of how broken our country is because of the breakdown of the family. I, I think we see physically, but if we could see spiritually into the invisible and see the woundedness and brokenness that happens when the family breaks down. But as the family breaks down, and as we, we leave a country trailed behind us of wounded souls, we leave people who tend to grab whatever's convenient to fill in their soul. And so what happens is, when you find a safe relationship, our tendency sometimes is to substitute that relationship for God. Because if you ever find that person that won't let you down, you ever find that person that keeps their word, you ever find that person that's good to you or at peace with you or, or loves you, if you're not careful, you'll set that person up as an idol and you'll begin to relate to them in some ways. We, so we become too dependent on each other. Kids are too dependent on their parents sometimes. Spouses are too dependent on one another and look to each other for things that only God should give. But passing the blessing on is first and foremost, listen to this, not a connection between two people. It's a connection between God and a person. It's the person over here that's doing the blessing saying, it's coming through me, but it's not me. It's between you and God. The best thing I can do to make a commitment to bless you is keep pointing you to Him. That's the best blessing that you and I can give. Is to say, hey, God's perfect. Keep connecting you to God. What was God saying? I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Each one had their own connection to God, but that blessing flowed through that line. What you have to say is, someday, sometime, somewhere, there's going to be a circumstance I can't help you with. I may be in bad health. I may be broke. 
I may not know the answer. You know, it may just be that I'm not perfect and I'm human and I just might not love you or bless you the way that I'm supposed to. So let me go ahead and set this out on the table up front. Go ahead and connect to somebody who's perfect because I'm not. Go ahead and connect to God. The number one way you can bless someone is keep connecting them to God. Timothy says, even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. There are going to be hurts that I can't heal, needs that I can't meet, circumstances I can't fix. So you have to know now your answer is found in God. I heard Philip Cameron, if you've ever heard of Philip Cameron, he was raised in Scotland. His dad was a pastor in Peterhead, Scotland. And he's gone on to be with the Lord now. I heard Philip Cameron tell this story one time when he was a young man. If you know anything about the Cameron, Cameroon, I think it was Cameroon family. They have this thick Scottish accent. And uh, he was telling a story about how he came over as a young man to America to do ministry. He was traveling around the country and he said, his, I think his bus broke down. And he called his dad. He scraped I think I think the guys on the team... You know, you don't have any sense when you're young. You just have enough money to, to make it about, you know, two miles from your house and you'll walk the rest of the way. So they pulled all their money together to make this long-distance phone call to Scotland back 20 or 30 years ago. He calls his dad in Scotland and he says, hey, Dad, I, we, we broke down here. And like only his father could have said, he said, Oh, lassie. He said, I think you've called the wrong father. He said, there's nothing, I, I'm in Scotland all the way here. There's nothing I can do there. I'll be praying for you, son. I love you. Good night. You know what Philip Cameron says? He said, I'm so grateful that my dad pointed me to God. There's nothing he could do across the ocean. But he pointed me to the Father who will always be there and will never let me down. And, there, and I don't even remember the whole story, but there was a miracle that happened, and they got everything that they needed. You know, about seven years ago, um, I just felt a, a, an urgency, Stacy and I did together, that we would gather our family every morning and pray. And we do, I don't know, we, we don't even know what to call it, the 30-second prayer or something. You got your backpack, you got the laptop and the lunch and the everything. Before we go and split four different ways for the day, Y'all come over here by the stairwell, and we're just going to pray for a minute. And, and we just gather around and put our hands on each other. And not every morning, but most mornings. Most mornings, we gather and pray. Say, Lord, today it's about you. It's not about us. We put you first. We ask for your help on the math test or the whatever's coming up. Lord, this situation we're facing, we ask your help. You know what? I didn't even know what all that did. I can tell you it makes a big difference. 30 seconds can make a big difference if it's 30 seconds given to God. But can I tell you one of the things that I've noticed over time now is we all come together and what we're saying as a family to our kids is we've got to come to the same God that you do. Go ahead and connect through us to Him. Because <laughs> one day we may not be able to help you. One day we may say, good night. One day we may say, you're talking to the wrong father. Go ahead and connect them to God now. Every time we do that, we reinforce the idea, I'm not your source, God is. Here's the other thing. Commit yourself, whoever God's given you responsibility, your spouse, your children, a loved one, a family member, commit yourself to their best interest. I know this is like, 
hooked on phonics. This is so simple. Commit yourself to their best interest. It is a commitment of time. It's a commitment of energy. It's a commitment of resources. But look, we don't have time this morning, but I want to encourage you to look at Genesis 48 and 49 because you'll see one of the most, in light of what we've been sharing for a month, you'll see one of the most incredible things in Scripture you've ever seen. Jacob spoke a blessing over all 12 of his sons and his two grandsons. And every blessing was different. Now think about that for a minute. The fact that he spoke the blessing, the fact that he passed on the blessing was important. But look, Genesis 49, 28 says, All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. The elements of the blessing are the same, but how they're applied is as unique as the person is. Your son, your daughter, your wife, your grandchildren, your friend, your, your neighbor, your co-worker, your parents, how you bless the person is, is in some ways defined by who they are. Defined by who God made them to be. So what do you do? Take, take, an in, take a concern in their best interest. Make a commitment to their best interest. How do you know what that is? Here's the number one way. Become a student of the person God has given you responsibility to bless. Become a student of them. This is where we really get into the subject of the love languages. I've been concerned the whole series. You would think that each one of these is one of the five love languages. You probably heard about the book that's been popular for some time now. It's basically the concept that everybody receives and gives love one or two of five ways. Either through affection, words of affirmation, gift giving, quality time, or acts of service. What you have to do as a student of that person is find out what their love language is and speak it. Don't speak your language. Speak their language. Make a commitment to their best interest. So you have to find out what that is. How do you become a student of those that you want to bless? You you have to learn, I think, how they receive the the blessings, the most important relational issue on earth. You have to understand how that person, what makes them feel like, I am blessed, I am loved, the blessing is coming on to me. Uh, About three weeks ago, Stacy and I were walking up here in the um, hallway upstairs. And we went past the bulletin board, and I saw some list of something on it. I thought, what is that? Remember that? And we stopped up and looked at it. There were, there were the names of every Master's Commission student in, in our church, Fifty, nearly 50 students' names listed on it. And I thought, what is that beside it? You know what Mark and Peggy had done? They had written the love language of every student beside their name. You know what they were teaching that community? How to love each other. Because sometimes we love each other, we just don't know how to communicate it, so, so we start to feel like it's not there. I thought that was one of the most powerful things. You know from birth, you don't really know how to love people, don't you? From birth, I don't really know how to love anybody. But God is love. And He teaches us as He loves us how to, how to love other people. You, I think you have to learn a person's love language. You take interest in what interests them. Can I tell you, my mom could give a rip about football, but she is the Pittsburgh Steelers' number one fan. You know why? Because I am. She's bought more Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. Just stuff, man. Oh, barbecue sauce. Good, with a Steeler on the front. 
I got terrible towels. Nah, man, when Steelers are in there, I'm shaking them around. When I was a senior in high school, my mom did something for me that blew me away. We never had a lot of money. We had everything we needed, but we didn't have a lot of extra. And she wanted to do something so special for me as I entered that transition season. And I, it was either on my birthday or graduation, I don't remember. She gave me, she had bought a calendar the year before and had written on it every day for 365 days the significant events of my life my last year of school and gave it to me. And I thought, you love me more than I'll ever love anybody because I don't think I'll ever do that. <laughs> but you know what she was saying to me? I'm taking interest in what interests you. I'm, I'm committing myself to your interest. I recently read a story about a 72-year-old woman in Phoenix, Arizona, who has had seven operations because she has rheumatoid arthritis, but she's still going strong. If you were to go into her living room and look on her bookshelves, on one shelf you'd see books, theology and psychology books. It's not because she ever graduated from college or attended college or has a degree in anything. It's because her son is a Christian counselor and she wants to know about what he's doing. On the next shelf, if you were to look, it's filled with medical journals because her second son is a doctor who specializes in genetic research. If you were to look on another shelf, the last shelf is filled with past issues of heavy equipment digest and books on how to be a heavy equipment operator. Guess what her third son is? She kept up with all those subjects because she wanted to know a little more about their life. And when they called home, she wanted to have some way to talk to them. So she said, I've committed myself to your best interest. I want to bless you. Somewhere along the way, all the expressions of the blessing have to come glued together in this one that says, I have made a commitment to see you blessed. Somewhere in our, in our mind, and our heart, it has, it has to be tied into us. We have to understand that our success as people must be somehow tied into the success of those we love. I think Gary Smalley's math teacher said it like this. If you fail, I fail. And we can't have that. So I've committed to bless you. I've committed to what you're interested in. I've committed to your life. I remember uh, when Stacy and I were at our, um, in Florida, we had the opportunity to meet a man named Pastor Tease, Boyce Tease. He was uh, um, a unique guy. He had come from a broken, poverty-stricken life, and he went up through the military and became, uh, got his degree and became a counselor and was a pastor on our staff, and I got to serve alongside of him. And I learned a lot from him. But, but the thing that I remember most about him is I've never met anyone in my life who took so much joy in other people's successes. He lit, I mean, he would sit in a corner and almost giggle out loud because he was so thrilled when someone else found their place in God. When someone else... What, what he did for people. If you went in his office, you'd see sticky notes. There'd be names and phone numbers of people that needed stuff. Hey, this guy's got a dryer. I've driven with him all over different places, taking stuff to people, going to the hospital, sat in a room with him, listened to him counsel people. He, he, he took genuine joy in blessing people. I remember he, uh, he's the kind of guy that would get up at 
some, God would put some thought in his mind, he'd go search the scripture. I mean, he'd just like a, he would just bore into it until he got through it, and then he'd write a 150-page document on the grace of God. You know, something like that. I mean, he was a rich teacher. And I remember him giving me his Sunday school class one time. He said, you know what? He said, I, I just wrote this. I forget what subject. Spiritual warfare. I just wrote this, man. I've seen some things in the Bible I've never seen my whole life. I've counseled for 20 years. I've dealt with all kind of issues in the counseling room for 20 years. But recently, God showed I've never seen it in my life. It's the greatest study I've ever done in my life. And he said, you know what? I want you to teach it. I said, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, you, you should. No, take my class for two months. I want you to. I said, you should teach this. You, you, it's out of your life. You wrote it. He said, yeah, but I want to hear you teach it. Isn't that something? Boy, it's just rare, isn't it? It's just rare. To make a commitment to someone else's blessing is what holds all the other pieces together. As we end this morning, I spent the whole morning talking about how do, you, how, do you, how do you pass the blessing on to somebody? I just want to back up from that. And I want to look at a deeper question for a minute. You, you can't give what you don't have. I don't want you to leave and think, well, the thing is to try harder. Or, or the thing is to do, do some technical things, some technique. I, you know, just because Jesus died for you doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Him. Just because God's intent is to bless you doesn't mean you're blessed. You have to step into that and receive it. I'll tell you the number one way you can bless somebody else is to receive God's blessing for you. Do you know that we have, when it comes to making a commitment, expressing the blessing through making a commitment to someone else's blessing, do you know we have an absolutely perfect example? It's God. He has committed Himself for eternity to bless you. He's committed Himself. He's committed Jesus, His Son. He's committed the Holy Spirit. He's committed the angels. He's committed Himself to bless you. I was just thinking this morning, what all we know about God's commitment to bless you. And can I just share with you this morning... God has said, I know the number of the hairs on your head. God has said, I have fearfully and wonderfully made you. God has said, I knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. God said, I sent my son who lived for you. And laid his life down and died for you. 
and who is now interceding at my Father's right hand for you. Talking about being blessed, Jesus is interceding for you. He's calling your name out. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I wrote a letter to you. I gave you the body of Christ, the family of God. Look around at the entire world, the seven wonders of the world. I made all of creation to reveal myself to you. I'm your creator, your provider, your healer, your peace, your banner, your sanctifier, your shepherd. I'm your father. I'm your friend. I will finish the work that I started in you. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I'm preparing a place in eternity for you so that you can be with me. Can I tell you something? God has committed Himself to bless us. Would you stand with me this morning? Every eye closed. Just find a place that you can get still. We're going to move into a prayer time now. And as we move to... Can I tell you, our prayer time in first service was so deep and powerful. When I was walking this morning and praying, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, I want to make a supernatural connection and blessing and blessing this morning. Just because he is Jehovah Rapha doesn't mean you're healed. Just because he's Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean that you have provision. Just because he's Savior doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. You have to step into it. Sometimes, man, we tell ourselves bad things. You ever do something you say, oh, I'm so stupid, why did I do that? We say things about ourselves God never says about us. We confess things God never... But Revelation says they overcame by the word of their testimony. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit's calling you this morning to connect with Him in blessing. To stand in this spot and say, I receive today God's blessing for my life. I receive healing. I receive provision. I receive relationship. I receive care. All the broken down dysfunctional junk in my life in Jesus' name is broken. I don't walk in the curse. I walk in the blessing. God's will is that you're blessed. I'm telling you, you can feel His Spirit stirred in this place. He's called you from the...